Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis 21, verse 9. And let's begin right away with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. It's a wonderful lamp that you gave to us, a wonderful light. And we pray this morning, Lord, that we would benefit from it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 21, verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it had been a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad." Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I'll make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle of water, and gave to the lad to drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Now, in our last study, we saw the searing words that we just read of Sarah that she said to Abraham when she demanded of him. She said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even Isaac. So we saw how Sarah was inconsolably incensed when she saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. And with all this furious anger that she had, she turns to Abraham and she demands to Abraham, cast out the Hagar and Ishmael. And we saw that when she used those words, cast out, very strong term in Hebrew, garash, And it means to drive them out, like you would drive out an enemy that invaded your land. Or Same word that's here for divorce. In other words, she demanded Abraham divorce himself from them. We saw how Sarah had already divorced herself from Hagar when she wouldn't call her by her name, but she said, this bondwoman. And we saw how Sarah had demanded that Abraham go ahead and divorce yourself from seeing in any way Ishmael as your son, and so she calls him the son of this bondwoman. We saw how Sarah had put Abraham in a position of having to choose 
choose now, Abraham. Is it going to be me, Sarah, or is it going to be this bondwoman, Hagar? Choose between us, Abraham. She said, Abraham, will it be Isaac, your son with me, or the son of that bondwoman, Ishmael? Choose between them, Abraham. So this put Abraham in a, just a shattered, destroyed state of mind, as we read in verse 11. And the thing was very grievous in, the sight, in Abraham's sight because of his son. And to feel what it means when we want to get into this and really feel what is going on with Abraham in verse 11, that it says the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. We can just put ourselves in Abraham's shoes at this point. Abraham understands exactly what Sarah is demanding that he do. And he's grieved as he considers what it would mean to do what Sarah says to throw Hagar and Ishmael out into this desert of death with no water. He's grieved as he thinks of what it means though as Sarah's asking him to do or demanding him to do and he thinks in his mind of what he actually ends up doing of the giving the one bottle of water in verse 14. He's grieved as he thinks that as he can see himself going and selecting which bottle and am I going to use? You know, do I choose a large bottle? Do I choose a small bottle? I choose a small bottle, then the death comes faster. I choose a large bottle, it drags out the agony of the thirst, death by thirst. And he's grieved as he thinks of himself filling the bottle of water, which he does. And he wonders, every last drop of water that I'm going to put into this bottle, this may be, it's going to run out and I can see them fighting over it. And he's grieved as he sees the despair of Hagar and his son in the desert with no water. And he imagines their cries you know, like the pings of that plane, you know, getting fainter and fainter, and then finally there's no more crying, and he's grieved as he imagines all this. He's grieved as he thinks his servants are going to be running to him and saying, we found the mutilated bodies of your son Ishmael and Hagar out in the desert. And we can feel all this grievousness in verse 11, and he's grieved at his wife, Sarah, for being so harsh, she's so unmerciful as to propose this torturous death the murder of Hagar and, and uh, Abraham's son. So he's grieved when he thinks of this because he knows it's even against the custom of the land. The custom of the land in that day was that if you had a bondwoman or if you had a wife and she was with you for seven years, which Hagar was, you weren't allowed to cast her out. But he's grieved as he's wondering, is he going to comply with Sarah's demand and cast out Hagar and Ishmael into the jaws of this desert of death? I mean, how could he ever love Sarah again? with all this, and this is a marital dispute, by the way. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) And we saw in this marital dispute how Abraham held his tongue. He held his tongue, and he learned that in a marital dispute, how important it is to follow. It's important for us. We look at Abraham. It's important for us to follow his example. Don't let loose on the reins of anger, you know, and don't let loose with words that will only escalate the dispute farther. But then we saw how God came to Abraham in his shattered, in his destroyed state of mind, and he says to Abraham in verse 12, God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So we saw how God said this. First, he says to him, don't let what Sarah is demanding you to do be grievous to you. Well, that's easy for God to say. 
How come? And then he commands Abraham, just go ahead and do everything that she says. Do it all. And then he tells them, obey him, obey God, and do. It's a matter of obedience to God. If you're gonna obey me, Abraham, you're gonna do what Sarah said. I don't know what was harder about it, to do what Sarah said or the fact that Sarah said to do it, I don't know. But it was all hard. But anyway, he says, do it. And we saw how this put Abraham's mind at ease because God told Abraham two points, two things he didn't know. And so, well, he didn't know, kind of one. But anyway, at the end of verse 12, the first thing God says is, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So God said, I'm gonna call from the seed of Isaac, I'm gonna call out from the seed of Isaac. It reminds us in Hosea 11.1, 1, when the Lord said, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. And that was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in Matthew 2.15, when the family at Joseph and Mary, the Lord Jesus fled down to Egypt, it says there, and it was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. So when he says, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So from those words, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, God is showing to Abraham that he's gonna call out of his seed God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, out of the seed of Isaac, not out of the seed of Ishmael, out of the seed of Isaac. Although Sarah appears to be just inhumanely harsh and unmerciful, God was saying to Abraham that Sarah's demands were gonna accomplish the will of God by removing Ishmael out of Abraham's house. And as Abraham understood that we can imagine Abraham saying, how in the world can an out of control raging Sarah in full bloom of wrath be perfectly in line with God's will. And that's what he had to consider. And the answer is, in Psalm 76.10, surely the wrath of man, it could be woman too, (laughs) shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So maybe Sarah might have said, kill him, if she did, that was restrained. And this is exactly what will happen with Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, who's gonna come on the scene and later on. And in Genesis 37, 18 through 20, we read that when his brothers, Joseph's brothers, it says, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh, come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we'll say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of this dreams. Now, how could the murderous intentions of Joseph's brothers be right in line with the will of God? Now, how could the rage of Sarah be right in line with the will of God? But they were. And just like with Sarah's murderous demand, the murderous intentions of Joseph's brothers when they threw him into the pit to die of thirst in the desert, were right in line with the will of God. And Joseph actually told them that in that great verse. You might want to turn to it, Genesis chapter 50. It's not so hard to turn to. It's in the same book. It's just a little bit farther along. Genesis 50, verse 20. Last chapter in Genesis. Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph, speaking of this event, says, as he looks back on it, everything has has happened that's going to happen, and so he looks back on it and he says, in this comment verse of the past, as for you, you thought 
evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. See, what Joseph said, was saying here is that, look, when you threw me in the desert pit with no water, you intended to murder me, but you were accomplishing the will of God because God meant it unto good. And we can see Joseph point his brothers as his singers, and we read this verse in verse 20 here, Genesis 50, verse 20, he said, but as for you, he points at him, you know, you thought evil against me. And then we can see Joseph taking the same finger and pointing to the sky as he went on and says, but God meant it for good. See, as for you, you wanted to murder me, but God meant it to good to bring to pass as it is this day. In other words, he's looking there and he said, you see all these people, much people, they're alive because you did this. But the beauty of that verse comes to us as we Peel back, as we have to so often, peel back the English words to see the Hebrew word that was used for thought and meant, because it's the same word. In English, the two different words, thought and meant. But in Hebrew, same word. It's our old friend, the Hebrew word that we've studied in the past, chashav. And so what this is saying here is that, but as for you, you thought you chashaved evil against me. But God meant, God hachshabed it unto good, to bring to pass, as is this day, save much people alive. See, that's that same Hebrew word hashav in both cases. And we studied that word hashav when we saw that that was the word that was used so importantly in Genesis 15, 6, where it speaks about Abraham, that he believed God, he believed the Lord, and he counted it, God counted it unto him for righteousness. God hashaved it unto him for righteousness. And then when they quoted this in the English New Testament, which was from Greek, so, you know, we go from Hebrew to Greek to English. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. Anyway, when they did that, the English word they used is imputed in Romans 4.22. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And the basis for these words counted, well, in the case we're studying now, thought, meant, uh, imputed, is the basis of it is the word, the Hebrew word chashav. See, that word chashavd opened up for us. We saw it already as we realized that that's the word that was used to describe the work of Aholiab and Betzliel as they work on the curtains in the tabernacle from Exodus 26.1, where it says, Moreover, thou shalt make a tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, blue, purple, scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work, of chashav work. He says, the work that you're going to do when you take that fine twine linen and you weave in all those threads of the blue, scarlet, and purple is going to be the work of chashav. It says, chashav work shalt thou make them. We saw that was the word that was used to describe same two people, Oholiab and Betzliel, as they were making the ephod for the tabernacle. And it said in Exodus 26, 28, 6, Exodus 28, 6, and thou shalt make the ephod of gold and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen with cunning work, with chashav work. So when we saw Aholiab and Betzliel embroidering those cherubims, you know, don't bother me now, I'm working on the cherubims. And they've got the fine twine linen, and you know, and, and they're reaching for the gold, the pile of the gold thread, and the pile of the purple thread, and the pile of scarlet thread. And we saw them embroidering, that was chashav, chashaving. They were chashaving there. What are you doing? I'm chashaving, can't you see? I'm doing this, don't bother me. So when we saw, uh, we saw them also weaving, this time they had the gold threads, 
and the purple and the blue and the scarlet to make the ephod, the breastplate, you know, what are you doing there? I'm weaving, I'm hachshaving, I'm making it. That's what I'm doing. And we saw how they worked hard on it. It was emphasized. It's emphasized. They work, did a hard work of embroidering, hard work of weaving, hard work of hachshaving there, those curtains and then also. And then same with the ephod. And they were so intent and they couldn't be distracted. The world was shut out from them. They were just bent over until they got it finished and they held up the curtains and they said, whatever you are. So he looked at it, he said, perfect, perfect. Unless it wasn't, then he went back and did it again. But anyway, perfect. He says, perfect. It's just what I wanted. Oh, that's nice. And when God then said in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and then God hashabed righteousness into Abraham, then we understand how God was like a holy oven Betzleel and he's reaching for the gold the threads and the purple and the scarlet, all threads of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's working hard to embroider onto and weave into Abraham's soul the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like the holy of the Bezalel, God would stand back and he'd look at Abraham and say, perfect, perfect, just the way I wanted it. I, what do you see, God? I see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've hachshaved it into him. But of him, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Why? He hashabed it. The wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So God hashabs, he embroiders, he weaves the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into us. And that's how he looks at us and he says, I see the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who has a, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, hashabed, the righteousness of God in him. So God's the hashaver. Well, this word hashav is very important because this is the word that Joseph used when he said in the verse, and I hope you're still looking at, in Genesis 50, 20, but as for you, you thought you hashaved evil against me, but God meant he hashaved it unto good to bring to pass the much people save him alive. See, Joseph's brothers, they wove the events. Ooh, here he comes. There's the pit. There we go. Throw him in the pit. He dies. You know, that was a hashaving of them. They were weaving it evil against me. But God was also, he wasn't sitting back. He said, they were weaving all those weave the events to evil, the murder of Joseph. And he's saying to his brothers, but wait, you weren't the only hashavers here or the weavers. God's a hashaver too. He's weaving also. You're weaving my murder. He's weaving also. What's he doing? Hashav, he says, men are good, tov. And he's hashaving life, chaya. He says, a life for much people. So these are the two hashavings which were going on in Joseph's brothers, Joseph's brothers. They were hashaving his death, and God was hashaving life. One's hashaving death, the other's hashaving life. That's what it is. And this is true not only of Joseph's brothers, not only of Sarah, but also in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at Acts 4, verses 10 through 12, where the apostles are addressing the people of Israel, he says, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught by you builders, you see? See what they're saying, they're saying there. He said, look, he said, you hashabed for the Lord Jesus Christ that he should be crucified by the hands of the Romans. That's what you did. You set up the whole thing. You took him pilot. You persisted, etc., etc. And why did you do that? Because you are hashaving that this stone, which had become very important throughout Israel as all the people flocked to him, you were hashaving that it should be not, not, nothing, zero. 
You're wiping them out. May his name and memory be forgotten, as the word Yeshu means, uh, stands for. But then he says, all right, that was your hushaving. But, but God, he had a different hushaving. He was raising him from the dead. And not only raising him from the dead, but he was making it so that he would become the head of cornerstone, and he was hushaving so that there's going to be salvation and none other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So one hushab's death, God hushab's life. And this is what Romans 8.28 is all emphasizing when it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his promise. Now, why do all things work together for good? Because God's the great hashaver, and he's doing his hashaving to make the weaving and to work together for good. So this is what God was saying to Abraham. And I can look back in Genesis 21, in verse 12. It says, and God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of the bondwoman, thy bondwoman, he says, just do it. And so what God is saying here to Abraham, he's saying, look, I know that Sarah is busy hashaving the death of Hagar and Ishmael, but don't you worry, Abraham, because I also am busy hashaving here, and I'm hashaving life for the world by calling my son out of your seed from Isaac, and for that purpose, Ishmael, he has to leave. But just trust that I'm hashaving here, Abraham, and do all that he says. Don't worry about Sarah's hashaving. Just look at me hashaving, and then you don't have to take Zantac and Valium over this. <laughs> but by the way, in addition to hashaving for Isaac, I'm also hashaving for Ishmael, too. And that's what he's saying in verse 13. He says, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. See, God's saying, don't you worry, Abraham, about Ishmael because I'm hushaving his future too. He's got a future. He's going to be a great nation. So God, in verse 13, gives to Abraham a promise. He says, Abraham, take it to the bank. You got a promise. Uh, you got a promise for Ishmael. He's going to be a great nation. And great nations don't come out of mutilated bodies in the desert. Anyway, so the best way to see the difference in the Bible between believers and non-believers is follow the promises. Follow the promises of God and see what people do with them. And so here in verses 12 and 13, God has given to Abraham two very important promises that God is gonna call the great blessing, the person who is the great blessing, out of Isaac, and that God will make a great nation from Ishmael. So Abraham has the promise from God to call the seed out of Isaac, and therefore Ishmael must leave. So Abraham believes God and he sends Ishmael away. Abraham has another promise from God that Ishmael is going to be a great nation. So great nations, like I said, don't come from mutilated bodies in the desert. So Abraham believes God, and he doesn't worry about Ishmael's safety in, in this desert of death. So Abraham has this consolation in his despair, and this consolation comes from the promises of God. And by saying in verse 12, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, see, God has promised Sarah was not out of line for the will of God when she was demanding Ishmael's departure. In saying in verse 13 that Ishmael's going to be a great nation, he's promised that Ishmael's going to be safe. And in these two promises, he clutches these two promises in his despair, and he finds peace to go ahead. That's the way it is for us. When we're in despair, we find peace in the promises of God in the Bible. And like with Abraham, whatever our despair is, God has a promise to be the source of our peace. That's wonderful. A 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Hi, this is Tom Cantor with Friendship with God. The hymn says, see all the world, wide open doors inviting. Soldiers of Christ, arise and enter in. Christians, awake, your forces all uniting. Send forth the gospel, break the chains of sin. Are you ready for your life to be used by God to send forth the gospel and break the chains of sin all throughout the 85 million souls in Ethiopia? We have an opportunity of a lifetime, a fully paid position to train 104 church planners who will bring the gospel all over Ethiopia. For nearly 10 years, Scanabodies has been in Ethiopia with the largest business in our region. On our beautiful 12-acre Wi-Fi connected compound is our wonderful new Ethiopia Bible Institute. Dormitory, study halls, dining hall, director's house, 400-seat auditorium. They're all built. They're waiting just for you to step out of your comfort zone and say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Why not trust God and go? You won't regret it. Call today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051.